The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the RPGBot.News. I'm Randall James, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And also Ash Eli. Hail and well met, travelers. And tonight we have a special guest with us, James Jacobs. Hey there. All right, Tyler, what is happening? Well, uh, tonight we brought on James Jacobs to talk about uh, a few things from Paizo, especially the recently re-released Crown of the Kobold King. So James has been a professional tabletop RPG designer for over 30 years, His CV is very, very long, so we're just going to hit some highlights. He was formerly the editor-in-chief of Dungeon Magazine back when Paizo was publishing that. He worked on some excellent 3.5 supplements, including Red Hand of Doom. It's basically a meme on this podcast how frequently that gets mentioned. James is currently the creative director at Paizo, and if you check the Pathfinder wiki for his author credits, it's five screens of solid text. Like, James has written everything (laughs) Um, (laughs) he among other notables he's worked on both of the pathfinder core rulebooks so both editions um, some of the major adventure paths including rise of the rune lords abomination vaults and recently the king maker remake and uh, i believe most recently he is listed as the developer on crown of the kobold king which is what we're going to talk about today sounds about right (laughs) <laughs> well, well, James, we're we're very, very excited to have you. I am personally a big fan of a lot of your work, uh, and it's always cool to meet the authors behind things that we love. Like I said, Rand- Red Hand of Doom is basically a meme on this podcast because it gets brought up as uh, just such a wonderful, wonderful piece of writing. And uh, yeah, we, we talk about all kinds of stuff from Pathfinder and your other work all the time. So it's very exciting for me. <laughs> hey, well, glad to be here. Awesome. So let's hop into it. So Crown of the Kobold King, you know, if you just open, you begin to read the forward and kind of catch up on the history of it. It's advertised as an update to one of the first adventures set in Galarian. What's what's the history of that? Well, we originally were, of course, like you mentioned, working on Dragon and Dungeon Magazine. And back in the early days, the before times, uh, Wizards of the Coast decided to move all of that stuff in-house, so we basically lost the license to do the magazines. And uh, we found that out with about a year advance notice, so we had about a year left to work on the magazines. But we wanted to be able to jump immediately from those last volumes, those last issues of the magazines, into something new to keep everything going. And uh, we decided what we did really good were adventures and adventure paths. So we had this sort of two-pronged approach. We started. We wanted to start with uh, the Burnt Offerings Rise of the Rune Lords Adventure Path on one side. And uh, on the other side, we wanted to do just standalone adventures, you know, sort of short little, uh, not necessarily one-shot adventures, but short little, you know, 32-page soft cover things that would let us be a bit more, I guess, agile in telling stories rather than locking ourselves into a big tale. 
we also were able to jump a little bit earlier into the standalone adventures as well. So Crown of the Cobalt King was the first full length, uh, and by full length, I mean, I think it was 32 pages. Uh, maybe it was 64. I forget exactly. I'm pretty sure it was 30. Anyway, uh, it was the first adventure that we we uh, published for sale in a sort of non-Dungeons and Dragons setting. It was a generic world. We needed to build up a new world from the start, and we were doing that with uh, the adventure path at the same time. So it was a pretty big deal. We had to basically invent a world, invent a bunch of proper nouns, and invent a, a venture all at the same time. And so that was kind of the remit for uh, Crown of the Cobalt King was to start a new campaign setting up. So was this the like the beginning of the idea of like, okay, Pathfinder is going to exist in one world. We're going to have Galarian and all of these adventures are, are taking place in the same in the same setting? Yeah, it was originally we wanted to make sure that um well back up a little bit. When we we're telling an adventure, you need to have like proper nouns. You need to have names of like locations and deities and NPCs and all of that. And in working on Dungeon, we saw that whenever we published, say, something for Greyhawk, people who played Forgotten Realms were like, I can't use that. Or if we published something that was in Forgotten Realms, people in Greyhawk couldn't use it. When it was really, you know, you could use them all over the place. They're pretty similar worlds. We often set our adventures in a kind of a world-neutral area, but even then, we needed something to tie it all together. So we decided rather than build two competing worlds, we wanted all of the things that we were going to do to be in one campaign setting, essentially. And Galarian was the one that we ended up uh, choosing. Okay, cool. And then just, again, to kind of lay down the timing. So you're putting out these adventure paths. Mm -hmm. Where was the core rulebook for Pathfinder 1 at this point? It was two years in the future. Wow, okay. (laughs) Yeah, we uh, the first two years of doing adventure paths, so that would be Rise of the Rune Lords, Curse of the Crimson Throne, Second Darkness, and uh, Legacy of Fire. Those are all 3.5 adventures. Those were not Pathfinder RPG rules. and Along the same time, we were doing almost, I think it was monthly at the start, we were doing 10 to 12 of these adventures a, a, a year. And all of those were um, 3.5 as well. So we kind of got hit with a one-two punch. We lost the, the magazine licenses and had to go on our own sort of world, a brand new world. And then about a year later, we learned that uh, D&D was moving on to fourth edition and it was going to be a lot more restrictive with the open license and all of that. So. At that point, we realized if we wanted to keep doing what we were doing, writing adventures and publishing adventures, we needed a game system that wasn't out of print because that's that's not good for business. So, yeah, we decided to work on um, uh, Pathfinder RPG about a year after Crown of the Cobalt King came out. We we released the, the playtest in sort of this massive, kind of unprecedented, huge, everybody gets to check it out. And then a year later, the actual rules came out. So that's very exciting. Mm. So Crown of the Cobalt King was one of the first adventures in Galarian. You mentioned yeah. how you needed to have one setting to write all of the adventures in. Were you just completely making up Galarian as you wrote the adventure? Or was this like someone had a setting that they were already using and you just kind of stole it? So, stole it is a so, bad word. Yeah, <laughs> borrowed. Borrowed it. Sold it. Sort of. Uh, I was at the time I was working on the adventure path side of things. That was myself, Wes Snyder and James Sutter. And uh, the three of us were pretty much just focused on this monthly thing here. We didn't really touch much of the the standalone side. And for that one, a lot of that content came from my homebrew setting. A lot of the deities came from it. um, A lot of the locations and and plot lines and all of that. Um, But on the standalone adventure side, that was Jason Bullman, uh, Mike McCarter, and Jeremy Walker were the ones in charge of that side. 
And for them, they didn't really have my brain to pick for my campaign setting, which I was kind of focusing on the adventure path side of things. And so for a lot of the standalone adventures, they really relied really, really hard on the um, the authors. And at the same point, Eric Mona and Jason Bullman were getting together and basically building all of the stuff that wasn't part of like Rise of the Rune Lords and basically all the stuff outside of Verusia. So Jason was really kind of in charge of uh, that side of things on the adventure path side or on the, the standalone adventure side. So he was kind of like, you know, guiding things along the way saying, well, we need this adventure set in sort of a place called Anor, and we need some adventures set over here in sort of a jungle area or up in the North or wherever. And um, it was really kind of a make it up as we went along sort of thing for, for things like Crown of the Cobalt Gang. So it sounds like this is really, really formative time for Paizo. You're coming up with a new setting. You're writing these almost monthly adventures. Uh, some really iconic ones, Curse of the Crimson Throne and Rise of the Rune Lords are starting up. I have friends who played the 3.5 version of the Rise of the Rune Lords AP and then ran the Pathfinder Anniversary Edition when that eventually came out. Just all around, just a fantastic adventure path. Uh, so it it's really cool to see like Paizo kind of uh, uh, finding new grounds for itself at this point in their history, in your history, I should say, creating things that still like 10 plus years later are so like well-regarded and iconic. Some of those things are getting remade now for second edition. Abomination Vaults, Kingmaker, um, and now Crown of the Kobold King. So looking back on Paizo's early adventures, looking at like some of those really, really good ones, how are you guys picking which ones you decide to update? So that's sort of a combination of which ones uh, we know sold really well and are out of print, mm-hmm. so they can't be really purchased anymore. And the ones that the customers we've heard, you know, like from reviews or feedback or anything that people really, really enjoy. And ones, honestly, that we really wanted to go back and, and feature again because, you know, it's it's no fun to go back and update something we didn't like, you know. But um, so in the case of second edition, the original thing that we were going to do was just Kingmaker. We did that as a big crowdfunding thing about the time we were launching um, uh, the all of the excitement for second edition. And a lot of the focus on updating Kingmaker was was it at that point. The next one I think that we decided to do was Abomination Vaults, which is sort of an unusual case because that one isn't actually an updated from an older system like like we did with Kingmaker. Abomination Vaults came along because we we basically wanted to try sort of an experiment. We wanted to see Abomination Vaults, first of all, is really, really popular and it was it was it sold I don't know if it sold out, but it was getting close to selling out. And we decided let's just compile these all into one book. It's a shorter adventure path. It's it should be pretty simple to to put together rather than converting the entire thing from one system to another. You know, kind of just test the water, see if that's a viable method of republishing that soon after its original incarnation. Crown of the Cobalt King came along sort of almost as an accident. Back in, in first edition, like I said earlier, we did Crown of the Cobalt King in uh, 3.5, and we did sort of a preview, I think it was a free RPG day adventure called Hollow's Last Hope, which actually predated uh, Crown of the Golden King by uh, about a month or two. And then Crown of the Golden King was pretty popular, so we decided, well, let's do sort of a semi-sequel to that called Hungry Are the Dead. It's the next two levels of the dungeon below, but it's an entire new story. It's not 
a sequel per much per se as it is just an expansion. All three of those adventures came out before Pathfinder RPG was even a thing. So then once we started getting first edition going along and things were rolling along, about the point where we decided to do, you know, an update of a return a rise of the Rune Lords, the idea was that let's do let's bundle all of the the kobold stuff together. There was it's now one edition out of date. Let's bundle that together into hardcover. Let's get Nick Logue to write a secret bonus level underneath everything as like a forgotten thing. It wasn't really forgotten. We just went back and asked him to do another one. And then let's bundle those all <laughs> together as a first edition kind of hardcover retrospective of Crown of the Global King. And that ended up going as far as hiring Nick to write that adventure. He wrote it. It was finished. And we were ready to move forward with it. But I don't remember the reason why we decided not to do it. I think we just didn't have the schedule. We were really kind of crushed for um, resources at the time, you know, doing a lot of products that, you know, we were kind of had had a lot of hands in different pies, spinning a bunch of different plays with like the adventure card game, uh, some of the video game stuff, and of course, keeping uh, the adventure pass and all the other products going. So that intended version of Crown of the Cobalt King kind of just languished on my computer for many, many years. And then uh, we had this, you know, this pandemic thing happen, and that kind of changed everything. <laughs> so in the middle of that, when we were trying to like figure out how are we going to stay in business publishing games that require people to get together in the same room for, you know, six hours at a time, everything was starting to change. So I was trying to figure out, well, what can we do to try to get excitement going, get a bigger product going? And I thought back to that old, uh, you know, adventure that we had Nick write and said, well, Eric, why don't we just do this Crown of the Cobalt thing update? And uh seemed like a good idea at the time. So here we are. It was it was really cool finally seeing that last level uh finally get into print. I know uh, I reached out to Nick Logue who's who's gone on he's, he's like teaching combat uh, uh techniques for for plays and stuff like that in like Hawaii at this point. So he's he's oh. kind of gone oh, away no. from like the, the made up stuff and now actually writing <laughs> fighting people in real life. But um he was he was pretty excited to hear like, Oh yeah, I remember writing that ages ago. <laughs> That's yeah, that was awesome. kind of the, how it all came came to be. It skipped an edition, but here it is. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Yeah, so it's it's cool to read, like, when you open and get into Ford, there's this description of, you know, here's the deal, folks. This is set early in, earlier in the history of Galarian than modern content. And so when you're running the adventure, there's actually events that, you know, folks who love Pathfinder and are familiar with the history might be aware Mm-hmm. that eventually this adventure could lead into. And so you have to make a decision about how you're going to handle that uh, and how you're going to handle ultimately the impact of these adventures. I guess, you know, that's a small manifestation of the fact that this original story is actually, you know, as old or even older. I, okay, not as old as Paizo, but as old as older than Pathfinder. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's um, it was a real blast just going back through, just looking at these little like throwaway things that we, we tossed in there, like this idea of... Uh, trying to not get super spoilery, but, you know, throwing in uh, these these ancient seals that kept the Lich Tarbaf on imprisoned, and that ended up being a big deal in the campaign setting. 
this dwarven guard, uh, dwarven deity Droskar, which Nick Loga or I think it was Jason Bullman made him up just as a throwaway. We need an evil god name. Uh, ended up being uh, pretty important. And going back through all of these older you know, stories and elements that we we created, it was really neat seeing these things that we didn't really know what sort of weight they would have in the future, but knowing with 15 years of hindsight now how to recontextualize these encounters so that they were a lot more interesting and, and carried a lot more weight in the adventure itself. So in that same vein, uh, sort of recontextualizing for for the benefit of hindsight, have you made any other changes to the uh, adventure since the first edition one? Uh, obviously mechanics and stuff like that and making it updated for Pathfinder second edition. But uh, in terms of content, did you guys add anything, remove anything, realize something didn't work as well or change? We obviously we added this this final dungeon level that Nick wrote in sort of this this phantom zone between all of the uh, the publications of it, and so that added an extra. It's like maybe eighteen twenty encounters, about nine thousand words of content at the very end. So an entire dungeon level. Wow. And the other versions of this adventure, Hollow's Last Hope, Crown of the Cold King, Hungry Are the Dead, they were all separate adventures. They all had their separate plot lines that worked for them, but they didn't work for each other. And bundling them all together, none of those storylines really worked anymore. And uh, some of them were really kind of just either out of date or uh, like one of the main ones at the very start in uh, Hollow's Last Hope is you have to save the town from this horrible plague that is killing people. And in the context of the modern day, I'm not sure people really want to escape from, you know, the (laughs) pandemic by playing a game where they fight a pandemic. And so, <laughs> although if yeah. we could do it effectively, we might be into it. I'm just saying. Yeah, it's certainly. It's certainly an element of uh, like kind of therapeutic, you know, to be able to actually stop it with magic and all that. But there's yeah. also elements of things. You know, when we first started doing these adventures, we were coming out from working uh, licensed products for Dungeons and Dragons. And with that came sort of a responsibility of we wouldn't go too extreme in the content. Because it was a relatively, I, I won't say mass market, but it was a lot more mass market than just Paizo was. And so we pushed up boundaries and pushed limits in Dungeon Magazine and Dragon Magazine when it comes to like, you know, edgier content, I guess. Uh, when we shifted over to, you know, publishing our own stuff, we decided to push further and really do a lot of, you know, darker content and more adult themed content. And I think at the time, that is one of the things that really helped Paizo thrive because that was a subset of gamer interest that wasn't really served by a lot of the stuff that was happening with D&D. Uh, you know, not quite as, you know, mature content as, say, Game of Thrones, but definitely more toward that extreme than, say, Lord of the Rings or something like that. And in Crown of the Cobalt King, we had a lot of... Uh, one of the initial uh, plots in Crown of the Cobalt King was a bunch of kids got kidnapped and were being held for sacrifice and you had to go in and save them. And, and if you dawdled along and didn't make it, those kids got stabbed and sacrificed to Droskar. And, you know, that's the sort of thing that maybe would have, that, that played well and, and appealed to people, you know, 15 years ago, but now it's a much larger audience. Uh, it's a much different world. And so we have a bigger responsibility to, I think, present stories that aren't so, I guess, in your face. Uh, so that was a, one of the elements that I really had to kind of figure out. I also didn't want to you know, lose all of that stuff because I do think that there is a, a need and an interest for darker storylines. All of that kind of meshed together, and I basically kind of had to build an, a new 
central plot line for why the adventurers wanted to go into this dungeon in the first place. There's still an element of like, there's a weird sickness going around, but it's not front and center. There's still this kidnapping plot where the, the, uh, the kobolds are stealing people off the, the roads or uh, out of the town, but they're not necessarily kids. They're locals that the player characters might have attachments to, and it's really left up to the GM. And I think in the end, that really works out a lot better because if you're a player character in an adventure and you find out that one of the NPCs that you like just got kidnapped by these monsters, that's a lot more investment right off the bat than random NPCs you've never heard of before. So in the end, I think it worked out uh, for the best. So, And if you still want to have you know these, these kids in danger elements in your game, you can still do that. That's just not hard-coded into the expectation. Okay. No, perfect. So... Beginner's box is great. Is this a great next adventure in Pathfinder 2? Sort of, yeah. I think one of the things about the beginner box is it's a really great way to get into the game and learn how to play and um, you know build your first characters. And so if you go through the beginner's box and you reach second level and you want to start doing something else, the way Crown of the Cobalt King is set up, and really any of these larger adventure, low-level adventures are set up, you can jump in at second level even though it says it's for first the experience the way experience points work it kind of self-corrects because you'll get lower experience point values if you're over leveled etc and in particular the way the crown of the kobold king is built all of the content you know where you're going through the the, the woodlands trying to find these these mysterious uh there's there's whatever you're if you're looking for these these alchemical ingredients or this creepy gray pelted wolf or following up on these rumors of kobolds in the area all of that content, including the upground, above ground kind of ruined monastery that you swore, that's all the first level content. So the actual dungeon, Droskar's uh, keep, this underground monastery, you're expected to be seven, second level before you're going in there anyway. So it works pretty well if you want to do something along the lines of, I mean, like say, if you were to do the beginner box and then kind of, you'd have to be a, a more, a somewhat more experienced GM to maybe, you know, swap out some more kobolds into there and have that be a bigger element. But yeah, it certainly, it certainly could do a segue. It's not geographically kind of set up there, but you know, it's an underground construct, you know, you can move dungeons all over the place. They don't care what's upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> no, that makes sense. So let's talk a little bit more about what folks can expect in the adventure. So you said that it, it's meant to start at level one, but you certainly could come in at two. Mm-hmm. Um, by the end of the adventure, what level should you achieve? Uh, I believe you're going to be around sixth or seventh level at the end. So it's 120 pages. Let me just do math in my head. Yeah, you should definitely reach sixth <laughs> level by the end of it. Uh, maybe even seventh level. So it's, it's okay. basically two adventure paths length of, of content. Nice. And then how long roughly does it take to play through the entire adventure? That's always been really tough for me to estimate because, you know, in games that I run, there's, there's sometimes where like the player characters are just like, they're, they're mercenaries, they're Marines. They just go through the dungeon, boom, boom, boom. And they, they get lucky or they (laughs) make the right turn and they conquer an entire dungeon, like in five hours. And then there's other ones where I make a funny voice, you know, merchant and the players are like, What's this guy's story? Why is he talking like that? And the entire adventure <laughs> is basically this conversation <laughs> with this guy who I just had a name for. And it's like, so where are you from? Tough. We're going there now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think probably one way to look at it is since it covers six levels of content, you can look at like normally if if you're if in your game you take two sessions to go from one level to the next level, then you know you've got twelve sessions of content in there. So 
Okay. So yeah, if, if we estimate like 12 sessions of content, that'll last you like three to six months, depending on how long you play. Oh, for sure. That's, yeah. a, that's a good duration. Yeah. Like it's not going to eat the next several years of your life, but you're going to get a lot of adventure out of this. And yeah, yeah if, sounds like it's a good fit if you're just getting just getting into PF2 for the first time. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely one too that's pretty modular because of, it's it's based on separate adventures anyway. So if you're playing through it and you're like, <laughs> well, we want to move on and do something else, you can just say, oh, the dungeon's three levels instead of five levels or two levels instead of seven levels or whatever. So it's pretty easy to adjust that on the fly as well. All right. So so we've mentioned some very very light spoilers. Uh, so there there's a kidnapping plot. There's a disease. There's undead of some kind. Uh, there's some sort of sacrifice to an evil deity. What what is the general story of Crown of the Kobold King without without spoiling the entire adventure? One of the things that I've come to see after doing I've been working on adventures you know for almost twenty years now and in the context of Pathfinder and then before that in Dungeon Magazine. And you start seeing these like sort of archetypes. And I quantify this adventure as the village has monsters in the dungeon nearby plot. <laughs> so All right. it's, it's kind of, I mean, Burnt Offerings, uh, the first of Rise of the Rune Lords is the same thing. Uh, the Beginner Box uh, adventure with Otari is kind of the same thing. This is an adventure where you start out in a small town and they've got monsters in the wilderness. And you're a group of low-level adventurers who are eager to make your name and you go out to try to, you know, handle these these monsters but there is of course a plot going on behind the scenes and that is all about king merlecrip with the kobold king and he has uh I, whenever i do these i have to like you know walk the, the spoiler line but at the same time you want to you know entice players so king merlecrip found a magic crown and it's not just a magic crown it's an artifact and it's pretty powerful and he put it on his little head and he gussied it up with some skulls and bones and stuff like that. And suddenly he had a lot of power. But he didn't really know how to use it. You know, he's got a bunch of different... And he, and he can tell that the crown is, like, not quite turned all the way on. And he needs to sacrifice people to make it fully active. And the plot starts going in this adventure when this kobold king starts, you know, snatching people out of the, you know, off the roads or out of the village. And that gets everyone's attention. So it's sort of a race. You've got to stop him before he can manage to supercharge his crown. Because if that happens, you're not going to be high enough level to deal with him. And at the same time, uh, like I love to do with a lot of these dungeon crawls, there's, there's all sorts of different plots. At the same time, there's this deeper history to the dungeon in that it has this ancient warding seal that helps to keep this ancient powerful lich imprisoned. And part of the reason that this crown exists in the first place is tied to that whole thing. So as the player characters are going through this dungeon, fighting this kobold and, and, and stopping him from becoming super powerful, they're also getting a hint of this even greater danger that is even further back, and even more widespread. So that once they defeat the kobold king, they've got a sort of a built-in, you know, next place to go. You know, we, we stopped this guy, but the place where he was living, you know, he was living inside of a nuclear bomb silo. And somebody else has the keys, and we got to go find the keys. Yeah, I, I like the idea. So a uh, a kobold found a magic item, and then things got worse. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that just the plot of uh, Little Big Trouble and Little Absalom? 
Yeah. Except for the magic item was a cookie and it was delicious. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) We we're big fans of the uh, free RPG day adventures in PF2. I, uh, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Um, Okay. So, so we've talked about the general plot and kind of the context of the setting. So say I'm a player. I'm very Mm -hmm. excited. I'm listening to this episode. I want to play crown of the Kobold King. Uh, One of my wonderful, wonderful friends has agreed to run it for me. What do I need to know before jumping into this adventure as a player? Like, what setting information do I need to know? What should my character know? What kind of details should I have? Let's see. You want to know that this is set in a small town called Falcon's Hollow. It's a lumber town, and it's landlocked, so there's not like a port going on there. Uh, They do have a river. Uh, Falcon's Hollow, one of the things that I really actually like about the adventure is you get something like Burnt Offerings or Troubles in Atari or these other adventures. It's it's a small town that's kind of nice. It's a place you'd like calling home. And when the bad stuff starts happening, you are compelled to protect your home because it's a nice place. Falcon's Hollow isn't a nice place. It's run by criminals. There's a lot of awful people doing awful things there. And so that gives two I guess, unusual options. You could play a bunch of, you know, jerk characters, a bunch of thieves or criminals or something like that. <laughs> and this adventure path works fine. And in that uh, context, you're like trying to build power to, you know, maybe become the new leaders of the town or something like that. At the same point, if you're playing good guys, you still don't want these monsters to kill people because even though the leaders are corrupt and evil, the people, most of the people living in Falcon's Hall are just people. And in that case, it's a case of the leaders aren't going to help these people. It's up to us to help these people. And maybe we'll get powerful enough to like move out of town. You know, we'll be able to buy a, buy a ticket to a, a nicer place. That said, it's for first level characters, and as part of the you know the idea that it is one of the very first things that we publish anyway, it's kind of open for anyone. There's there's opportunities in there if you're a druid or a barbarian or a bard or a wizard or a sorcerer or whatever. You're going to find something in this adventure that is fun for you. And if you start going further and further afield into, you know, things like um, inventors and gunslingers and stuff like that, you're going to be maybe a little bit out of place. This is a very core experience, I guess, is what I'm saying. One thing that is kind of fun about it is there's an opportunity. Well, let me let me go back a little bit. When we did Burnt Offerings, that is basically the same plot. It's a small town being attacked by monsters. In this case, it's goblins instead of kobolds. And we had a lot of people on our message boards talk to us about, well, I want to play goblins in this adventure. And said, well, I don't know <laughs> if that'll work, but it actually does. You know, goblins can fight against goblins just as well as anyone else. So there's a little bit of information in this adventure if you want to play kobolds and fight against king, the kobold king. And the idea there is that you are from a, a rival clan, perhaps, that is like, well, King Merlocrip, bad news. If he takes over, he's just going to enslave all of us, and we don't want that. So we got to stop them. Or you could be like the one or two or three friendly kobolds in Falcon's Hollow. And it's up to you to, you know, like, not all of us are bad. Hey, we'll prove it by by taking out this king and showing you that we're, we're on your side. So there's a lot of opportunities there for, you know, if you want to get really kind of turn it on its head and play play kobolds fighting against the kobolds. But yeah, it's, it's pretty, I guess, I don't want to use the word generic, but core, I guess, is the best way to look at it. <laughs> There's a there's a lot of opportunities for you to to explore your, your the classic fantasy tropes in this one. It doesn't have elements where you have to be good at a certain thing in order to succeed. It's very very heavy on the dungeon crawl. Hmm. 
Right. So, so yeah, it hits some uh, some very classic dungeon fantasy tropes, and you know they're classics because they're good and they're fun to play. Yeah, and and that also to go back to the uh, the beginner box, that also makes it a pretty good segue from that content because that's the same sort of content you're doing in the beginner box. It's very classic uh, content where if you start out there and you go on to Cobalt King, it's you're going to fit in. Okay, awesome. Well, James, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Yeah. Where can folks find you online? Uh, best way to get a hold of me online is to just check out uh, Paizo.com. I'm pretty active on the message boards there, and uh, I uh, try to answer questions that are asked of me there. It's Sometimes it's a big message board, so it's hard to, to track them down. But I don't really, I'm sort of a social media hermit, so I don't really keep uh, <laughs> all of the tweets no. and the Facebooks and all of that stuff going. Here's the, you'll live longer this way. Uh, yeah. that's that's the hope <laughs> or i'll be the last one to know when something bad happens yeah one or, both <laughs> probably both honestly that, yeah, that's where that's we're true. headed uh oof yeah awesome so we will have a link in the show notes so if folks wanted to go find the message boards uh in case you can't navigate the menu we'll get you there uh and also have a link to crown of the cobalt king in the show notes as well so yeah go take a look if you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You'll find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on RPGBot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. We're trusting in the system.